Welcome into the Dog Dispatch. I am John Smith, your host. I'm here with my good friend, Coach Hayes. We got a good show lined up for you today. We're going to talk a little bit of NFL Combine. We're going to talk about Carson Beck in a new segment that we're excited to show you. Uh, and then we'll wrap it up with, you know, talking about Georgia's new coaches, maybe talk about a, a rivals coach interviewed uh, that was on a, a radio show last week that raised some eyebrows. Coach, how are you doing today? John, doing great, buddy. Hope you're doing well yourself this evening. Uh, doing well. I'm very excited. Uh, spring ball is here. Spring ball starts in two weeks for Georgia. Um, and we're looking right down the barrel of uh, some actual football um, for, you know, yes. G-Day. Uh, and all the spring games across the country. Um, got a lot going on. Um and just really, really excited to see, you know, how things shake out. So um, let's dive into NFL Combine. Coach, listen, before we talk about the the dogs at the Combine, I have to address something. Uh, Mina Kimes, yes, well-followed, giant-following ESPN analyst, uh, who I think Mina Kimes, I don't, I don't care what people think about Mina, and, and Mina knows ball. I like Mina. Um, she had a guest on her podcast this week talking about the NFL Combine, and they gave a lot of praise to Lab McConkey. Her guest, but as yeah, shout out to her guest Mike Renner, who's an NFL uh, draft analyst. He he made an interesting comp, Coach um, Mike has he's Tell me he, about it. he followed me on Twitter a couple months ago. Um, really, you know, really good guy. I think he does good work. Um, he made an interesting comp that. That I think I I had seen before. Uh, he was talking about Lab McConkey. They were heaping la- praise on Lab McConkey, and he compared Lab McConkey to uh, to Antonio Brown. Have we? Did we don't say it. Did we don't hear that? It. Have we heard that before, Coach? I believe we did <laughs> on a previous sesh, man. And I think at that time, I mean, you were really going out on a limb to be able to do that. I thought you did a really good job of pushing those uh, two guys together and, and what they did and their overall explosiveness. So yeah, definitely. I think that was something back in January. Yeah, it was January. in January. We were talking about lab McConkey, his size, his speed, his twitch, um, his ability to be, uh, versatile in both, uh, the run game and the pass game, short, uh, intermediate long pass game, very similar to Antonio Brown. Uh, so I'm glad the national national folks are catching on, uh, to, uh, our little old comps um, that we're making over here on the dog dispatch. So no, no doubt about it. Awesome. Uh, well, we, the combine is here. Um, we saw uh, quite a few Georgia players hit the podium for, uh, for their press conferences, their interviews portion of the combine, which I always appreciate. Listen, there are some, some of these kids are a lot better than others. We'll just say it that way uh, at the podium. One of the things I love about Georgia is, um, Javon Bullard, Kamari Lassiter. I mean, there were Zion Logue. There were some guys up there that that were really not only um, not only very thoughtful and and well spoken in terms of the way that they were talking about Georgia and the way they were talking about you know their experiences and the way they talk about what they bring uh, to the combine. But those guys were just fun. Like I love Javon Bullard. I don't know if folks caught his interview, but Javon Bullard, uh, two things that stood out to me, and I love. If you haven't seen Javon Bullard's interview with the NFL Combine, please go check it out. Um, he said two things yes. that I thought were interesting. One, he said, 
I'm like a kid in a candy store where he was talking about meeting with head coaches and NFL GMs. And like, you know, he said uh, he's dreamed about this his whole, his whole life. And so a lot of joy seeing those guys experience that. He also said, he said the, the one thing that Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart taught him at Georgia in the position that he plays in that, in that safety position is versatility is your value. And I thought that was such a strong uh, quote, um, coach. Well coach, say, yeah. Yes. What? Tell me a little bit about. So you know, obviously in the NFL and in college, that safety position. You have nickel. You have slot. You have you know star. Um, you got you know the deep half. Tell us a little bit about you know what it means when Javon Bullard says versatility is your value at that position. You know. Aren't you just proud to be a Georgia Bulldog to listen to those guys talk back to the reporters? The social um, journalistic part of what they do to help those kids prep for what they're going to be, you know, talking about what they're going to be hearing and not put them into a bait trap. Uh, But to answer your question, the versatility can be your value. I mean, you're right. Those it's it's amazing how those little catchphrases work. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, coaching, you always want to have a kid that and i say kids you know these kids are growing up to be young men these and, are you know, grown me, men the, the size yeah. the eight like yeah. these are yeah my dad would not let me yeah. be a kid at 21. exactly <laughs> but, and i'm about to experience the big five oh coming up here in another month so i i, I see these kids as kids mm-hmm. but they are they're they're young men trying to become something in this world and uh but what i was trying to get back to is that at the safety position you could be looking at a free safety strong safety star nickel corner the more positions that you can learn, and that's something that's very important, I think is caught coached across the board with mm-hmm. Coach Smart and his staff, is that the more key positions that you can get better at, you never know when injuries. Injuries can create such a, a kink mm-hmm. in what you're doing for consistency and for the ability to execute your plays when you're trying to be as effective as you can and to be obviously you know executing at a very high level. So if you have a kid who can run and go in there and play the strong safety position, but then can turn around and go play a, you know, a boundary corner or maybe go from free safety to strong safety and then maybe come in and accommodate it nickel. The more positions that you can play and be efficient at is going to be a, it's huge. It's immensely Mm -hmm. opportunistic for the, for the staff to be able to look and say, guys, we've got this guy that can go. It's sort of like a, a six lineman that can go in and play, you know, all three positions at center guard and tackle. So that is um, definitely valued as a coaching staff, because what it makes you feel is you have that trust, you have that, you know, that comfortable feeling, I guess it would say is that if you know, if somebody goes down, you have the ability to move somebody into that position and not feel like you lose a beat. So the versatility being your value, I think is a, a great saying first off. And secondly, that from a coach's perspective, I think that's what they want to see in those kids. Yeah. And, and, and Kamari Lasseter was another one that was at the podium that I thought was a really, really good interview this week. Um, Kamari talked about something similar. It wasn't versatility is your value because he played, he's a very clear, uh, very clear, you know, boundary corner, very clear corner. Um, but he said, uh, he said corners in the run game. He said, one of the things that he learned at Georgia was just like how important it is to be a physical, sure tackler in the run game and how much value there is because he said you know what do you want to do if, if you're going to run the ball you want to run it at your weakest tacklers which are generally your corners and so uh, him creating value for himself and becoming a physical 
um, sure tackler, tough, you know, uh, tackler at corner. I thought was interesting. He also said, um, Georgia prepared me in every way. You know, I loved hearing him talk about everything from football to help helping him mature in ways that he never thought uh, was possible. Uh, the one thing that stood out to me about Kamari last year's interview is um, shout out to whoever the the reporter was. I wish I would have written down the name here in my notes, but shout out to whoever asked, what does Bloody Tuesday mean to you? Uh, so for Ooh. folks who are listening, if you don't know what Bloody Tuesday is, Georgia uh, Georgia refers to their Tuesday practices as Bloody Tuesday. It's their most physical practice of the week. It's full pads. It's it's. Uh, you know, you are in the pressure cooker. Um, it's full on, full on contact. And Kamari Lasser said, Bloody Tuesday means everything at Georgia. He said, a lot of games got won in my career on Bloody Tuesday. And then he said, games played on Saturday. Games are played on Saturday, but they're won on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And uh, I thought that if, if any oh. quote sums up the Georgia football program and Kirby Smart, it was that one from Kamari Lasser talking about, a lot of games got won on Bloody Tuesday, and you may play on mm -hmm. Saturday, but they're won on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Thought that was really well said. Yeah, no doubt, John. I, you know, I sit there and think to myself, that gives me chills hearing him say that because, you know, if you could get kids to buy into the program to make them realize how important it is to execute at such a high level on that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, but that comes back to the prep work, that comes back to the consistency and looking at the little things that the coaching staff preps for every week and in, in, in getting ready for a ball game so that when they go into Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, there is no wasted time. Everything is efficient and reps are being done at the highest pace mm -hmm. that they can where people are learning, you know, step-by-step. Step, and if it's not done right, it will be done right before they get done with that day. But bloody Tuesday needs to happen because I think it's yeah. getting to the point now where some of these programs are just not, they're not getting after it like we used to do. They're, they're just not seeing it the same way. And I think when you, you go out there and you practice hard, you play even more efficiently. The way I always tried to emphasize it to my student athletes that I worked with, I was always trying to make sure that they realize, guys, you don't realize if you play at a high level mm -hmm. during practice, just imagine what, how you're going to execute in a game. Because to me, if you practice hard, you're going to play, you know, you're going to play hard and you're going to play well and you're going to execute. So. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm really proud for Kamari and what he's done. You know, when he came into uh, the University of Georgia, I, I'm sure there was some speculation about him. Not sure about what he was going to be, where his role was going to be at. And he has really blossomed. Believe it or not, I have to give me a little, I will have to say something. The first video I ever made yep. that I uploaded to YouTube was a short about Kamari Laster because he was the first kid that was coming into the groups that I was evaluating and he was the first kid who impressed me the most i knew that not only was he going to be a lockdown quarter which he proved to be but to be a physical corner mm -hmm. that is an attribute that you don't see very often he brings both of those to the table so it definitely helps out for his draft um eligibility and i think he's just going to be he's going to raise some eyebrows he's going to make some eyes open uh over these next couple of days yeah to totally agree um and you know last thing i'll say about just the whole practice the the work ethic matt rule there's a clip that went viral last fall with matt rule saying this where he said he, we had an nfl scout tell them uh at nebraska that their practices are the second hardest uh in college football and he said and he said i know who's the hardest and we're gonna catch him and then he paused and he said that it's georgia that he told me that georgia we, we, we our practices are only uh second to georgia in terms of of 
physicality. And then then what he also said was he said it was nice to have guys like MJ Sherman, who is who he's talking about. Nice to have guys from Georgia in the room uh, to tell to tell the guys at Nebraska, you know, Georgia's wearing shoulder pads and helmets when other teams uh, are, are doing walkthroughs. And so yeah. it is very different. It's a different kind of program um, and it's not for the faint of heart. And there's not a lot of pro, there's not a lot of coaches still. I'll say it this way. Not a lot of coaches have the courage. Not a lot of coaches have the guts to run mm-hmm. their football program like Kirby Smart still runs his football program. A lot of coaches, they're worried about running kids off. They're worried about, you know, um, re- recruiting. And they're in this situation of like, you got to recruit your team over. And they're, you know, a lot of these coaches, they're not, they're not getting on that microphone and, and getting, you know, on these kids and on these coaches on a regular basis and putting them out there and getting them physical. And um, and I think, you know, it's a testament to Kirby Smart. It's a testament to the program. Georgia fans should be really proud of, of what they have in Athens. Um, I, I, would, I was just going to say, too, what a great recruiting tool real quickly um, for Kamari and for mm-hmm. Bullard to stand up there and say those things. I really think you've got those kids watching that are planning on maybe being the university of Georgia recruit and maybe come to the school to uh, see those guys be a testimony for that program. Yeah, And I think even better on the other side too, you got, you know, guys who aren't, who are maybe having second thoughts around it. Maybe he'll push them out, you know, like Kamari Lasser yeah, standing up there and saying, Hey, this is what it takes. Yeah. Um, uh, you had Jordan Without Davis. You had Jordan Davis say it a couple years ago too, where he said, "You know, Georgia's not for everybody. It's it's a different kind of program." Nope. So, um, mm-hmm. so good for them. All right, dogs at the combine. Um, Zion Logue went today. I, I we don't we don't have to go in, into depth around Zion's performance specifically. I'm not sure that Zion really helped himself uh, in terms of just the yeah. actual results um, at the combine. But he got invited. Dude went out there did did his thing. Um, tomorrow, Friday, if you're listening to this, depending on when you're listening to this, we're recording on Thursday, uh, Friday, you got Brock Bowers, Javon Bullard, Kamari Lasser, Tyke Smith, Saturday, you'll have Dejon Edwards, Kendall Milton, Lab McConkey, um, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint Sunday, you'll have Marius Mims and Cedric Van Pram Granger. Um, coach out of those guys, you know, give me just real quickly, who's, you know, who, who do we think is going to help themselves, um, in this combine and, um, you know, kind of who has the biggest opportunity to make to make the biggest leap over the next few days? I think, honestly, Kamari Lasseter has helped himself through the year. As mm-hmm. far as the combine is concerned, I'll go with the first batch is Bullard and Taiki. Mm-hmm. I think those two kids could really do a good job of helping themselves of increasing their stop by going out and giving a good 40 time, mm-hmm. being able to show their abilities and their agilities and, and really just show their work ethic, their want to. Um, in the uh, second batch, I would say for Saturday, you're probably looking at Dejon and Kendall Milton being the two running backs. Based off the um, you know the next gen stats that the NFL puts out for it, uniquely Kendall and Dejon both are right there, kind of at the sort of good average range, right around seventy to sixty five for their point total. Yep. So I think if they go out, they get a good forty time, maybe do something that we're just not ready to see, but yet we know that they can do it with a person, you know, we watched Kendall and Dejon seem to be banged up and, you know, running back, yeah. the longevity of a running back's tough anyway. So, you know, for them to be finally fully healthy and be in training, mm-hmm. um, we definitely could see something good from them as well. So I'm looking for those two groupings. And then, um, you know, Rosemary Jack Saint, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm bothered by the fact of where the next gen stats have him because I'm so up on this kid. I think he's got great hands. He's got a great catch radius. Yeah. He runs good routes. His route tree is very good. So yeah. hopefully maybe he can do some things at the combine as well that 
will help open some eyes yeah, to I mean, what he can do. Yeah, and let's be clear. I mean, a lot of the stats that you're seeing right now for the Combine, um, you have to separate the value that the player's bringing in game situations, route running, catch radius, contested catch, mm-hmm. you know, all those things. And the actual mm-hmm. like pure athleticism because those stat those right. those stats are really you know it's it's vertical jump it's shuttle time it's broad jump mm-hmm. it's forty time um, uh, but I do I think Marcus Rosemary Jackson is going to surprise some people on Saturday I think he's I think he's more athletic than than a lot of uh, people may may think he is um, I agree with you wholeheartedly awesome no well yeah tune into the combine uh we'll we'll be sharing stuff on on twitter we'll be talking about it you know uh, over the next week as well on the show um looking forward to seeing what these guys put out um put out on on the field um all right coach we're going to introduce uh, a, a new segment uh to everybody if you're listening to this on podcasts um we're going to do a, a film review so you, you know it you may want to check it out on youtube um but uh but coach we are gonna launch a new segment called first and fundamental so you're gonna do uh, a little bit of breakdown like coach does on his youtube channel um that you can find at coach hayes huddle uh we're gonna do a little bit of breakdown uh we're gonna pick a topic and we're gonna talk about you know something that can either improve or something that worked really well, break it down uh, for the people who are listening, give a little bit of uh, education, hopefully a little bit of entertainment as well uh, as we talk about mm-hmm. Georgia. So tonight we're going to talk about Carson Beck. Um, mm-hmm. Georgia, early in the last season, Georgia had some challenges specifically in explosive plays on offense, right? Um, specifically in uh, deep ball plays, um, Carson Beck, you know, was was really not dialed in earlier in the season. Got a little bit better as the season went on. This season, we really need Carson Beck to make a big leap in terms of his efficiency in hitting those explosives. Uh, because right. I think there's two reasons. Number one, um, I do think that Georgia, if they're gonna, if you see it, you see a game like Alabama, right, where where. Right. The SEC championship game. If you get into one of those games, I mean, explosive plays are going to make or break you when you can't. When you're getting stymied at the line of scrimmage, that really is right. going to be. Can you break? Can you break a couple of explosives? Um, and then number two, you know, Carson Beck. He's he's an odds-on uh, favorite for Heisman Trophy, and Georgia mm-hmm. hasn't had one of those in a long time in uh, in, in yes. forty-four years, right? And so. Um, mm-hmm. So, so if Carson Beck wants to be in that upper echelon, if he wants to be considered that, one of the things he's going to have to get better is an explosive play. So we're going to go first and fundamental. We're going to watch a little bit of film, talk about it. Coach will talk about his points, you know, kind of what he's looking to see from Carson Beck. So, You know, first thing, when you look at Carson Beck, this is early in the year against South Carolina. And what I see with all of these throws that we're making here to start off with, this is kind of a razzle-dazzle play. But if you could pause it right there, mm-hmm. just real quickly, you know, Brock Bowers was a bell cow for us. We knew what he was going to be bringing to us at the beginning of the year. But because we were targeting him, you've got to think about it. And a lot of the plays that Carson did was he would um, they pre-snap read something, and he already knew where he was going to throw the football. But if you don't see right out the screen here from where Brock's getting the football, Rosemary Jack Saint is running wide open past that corner because of the fact that we are targeting. He's looking at him too long. When you're in the pocket, you've got to be a little bit more patient, understanding your three- and five-step drops, and realize you have time to survey. If he hadn't been so focused on throwing it to Brock on that follow route right there, 
Rosemary Jack Saint was wide open on the skinny post. So just being patient in the pocket, which he does show and begin to get better at as the year progresses. So again, an incomplete pass. Here we've got the tight end seam off this. And if you look at his mechanics, Beck is ready to make this throw immediately. But if he's patient for one more second, you'll notice his mechanics right here makes him throw really off his back foot. He really doesn't step into it right here. And so he throws it more to the inside in between the referee and the trailing linebacker. And what he should do is put more air underneath it so that Oscar would have a chance to go get the football. Um, so again, here we go. Fundamentals, being patient, just give him one more second to, to continue to separate, step into the throw and provide a little more air to it right here. Would have been a good one. We all sat there and wondered, mm -hmm. man, you don't throw the ball 35 plus times a game, Beck. So, yeah. I mean, you've got to make sure on those vertical routes that you are you're just your percentages have got to increase and be higher because you you have a very small window or a sample size of throws that you're going to be making ver vertically. Um, this play right here, the lad, you know, I'm sitting here looking at this and thinking to myself, you know, if he just gets the opportunity to <clears throat> just provide a little more air to it <clears throat> and let lad continue to run under the football, give your receiver a chance to catch it. And guys, I'm really nitpicking this. Guys, yeah. I really believe Carson Beck is the real deal. Yeah. I want you to understand this. We are looking at what he would be looking at in the film room, probably beating himself over the head with yeah. because of the throws. Yeah. So in this case scenario, Lad, like I said, is a guy that could beat someone vertically, and he, you know, yeah. just one of those steps where he just needs to throw the ball a little bit higher, get a little bit more air underneath it. And uh, I think Lad at least comes down with a ball. You give him a chance to catch it. He may still get caught, but that's another completion for an explosive. Here, be patient. You've got a touchdown to Brock. But again, you're so ready to throw it because you know he's wide open. And I know you overthrew Delt back earlier in the season. You want to make sure that completion gets there. But see how he rushes it off of this? And this is against Kentucky. He knows he's got – look at him. He's backpedaling, and he's going to throw off his back foot. He's just trying to get him the football. But just be patient. You know, Delp's getting run over slowly, so it's okay right there on his pass pro. And, uh, you know, just be patient to be able to wait and let Brock get a little more open, put a little more air under it, and you've got a touchdown Carson Beck for an explosive instead of it getting caught after because you, you know, didn't put any air underneath it. Guys, we saw this against Tennessee. This is after a sudden change. And, you know, Bennett throws the ball to Ladd in the end zone. Same play. We, we've all seen this on slow-mo. Mm. Uh, Ladd puts that corner on skates, and it should be a touchdown. But again, I don't understand right there why he doesn't trust the fact of just letting the ball go and letting his receiver get underneath it. And I think that's the difference of what you're going to see in Carson Beck this year. You're going to see him air this out and let his receivers go underneath it. I would, you know, I definitely love the fact we got a completion here and that sets up a touchdown for us. But obviously, I know he's going to want to take that back because that's a play. That's the difference of that being an explosive for a touchdown pass reception and a touchdown completion instead of, you know, Milton's going to run it in on the next play after this and that. That takes away from it. So, but here's where it progresses. Ole Miss game. You guys know where we're at in the season with the Ole Miss game. Now, if you watch it, the reason why I got a tight copy here is because I want you to watch Carson Beck's head. If you'll notice, the progression is set up. This is a five-step drop. He's going through his read. His, his back is released, so he's got a five-receiver progression right here. And you'll notice everything's to the left to start with. It looks like you've got a smash route on the left side, so you've got the slot fade by McConkie, and he doesn't like what he sees. Now, watch his helmet now go to the right. And when he sees what the compliments are, you've got the dig and you've got the, it looks like a dig and then there's another follow dig behind it. You end up seeing him throw it to the number four receiver and him catch the football. 
And that's where I think we're going to see a difference in Carson Beck. I think we're going to see him not being panicking in the pocket because I think our offensive line is going to do a great job with our pass pro this year to not put him in those situations. He's going to slow down his progression. Remember the matrix effect I talk about. It's going to slow down. He's going to let that window. Our line's doing a great job. That's a four-second window. He's able to go through his progressions and throw the backside dig for a very nice gain to Ra Ra. And, of course, Ra Ra does a good job here turning it into more yardage after the catch. So I think that's what the reason why I wanted to end with this is kind of the, you know, to show you just some of the small things that he does. But also I wanted to end on something positive because I think this is what we're going to see more of Carson Beck doing this year, where he's going to be more challenged to be able to spread the field out and be able to see more receivers because I think he was focused a little too much with Brock. But again, how could you not be? Why would you not want to draw up plays for the unicorn? He, he was an excellent, he's, you know, one of the greatest players we've ever seen at the University of Georgia, if not the best. And I know a lot of Herschel Walker lovers out there would probably attest to that. But, you know, I, I understand that. With Brock being gone now, I believe that actually helps Carson this year because now he can really think about the whole field more than isolating himself to one side, short side, or the, the wide side of the field. Yeah, he yeah he lived with Brock Bowers early in the season, which I – Mm-hmm. Don't blame Mike Bobo. Don't blame Carson Beck. That's exactly where I would live too. Um, but I do think to your point, I think it it, it did cause um, a lot of those hurried, hurried progressions. It caused a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, a lot of missed um, opportunity. Uh, but later in the season, I did love, I loved how Carson, you know, matured. I loved how he, you know, became more patient. I loved how his, his, his mm-hmm. fundamentals just got better. I mean, this is, this was his first year as a starting quarterback mm-hmm. taking the one reps um every week in practice uh going out there and taking every snap you know for the majority of the of the non-garbage time snaps and the one thing i think that we'll see um with carson beck is you know now you get another off season as the as the one you get another off season mm-hmm. of all those reps that you're getting with all those guys uh you get another off season of all of those um progressions all of those reads all those te- that technique those fundamentals um, I'm really excited mm-hmm. to see. And, you know, and I think that's what's 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 interesting about Carson Beck that's different from other quarterbacks uh, that, that in college football is everybody wants a freak athlete, elite quarterback that comes in and starts right away. Right. I think that's right. why. And I'll just I'll just say this. Shout out to C.J. Stroud, um, because C.J. Mm-hmm. Stroud has been the first and I. I don't care what people say about Justin Fields. CJ Stroud has been the first Ohio State quarterback to really overcome the Ohio State offensive scheme and actually learn <laughs> and actually learn how to go through progressions, how to go through how to right. how to use your fundamentals, how to shift your 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 feet, how to actually be an NFL quarterback. And that's what you're seeing with Carson Beck um that in that last clip especially but he did it all year you know um Mm -hmm. he he just got more consistent with it and better uh toward the end of the season but but that's what you're seeing you know in the Mm -hmm. georgia offense that that is very different from some of these offenses that can that can just run off a a one read uh you know kind of freak athlete guy that can that can spin it um i think i think that's what Mm -hmm. makes georgia different i think that's what carson beck has benefited from from staying in the program yeah, fundamentally, he's going to improve those little things too. Where now, like I said, because things have slowed down, he's going to be—he's going to slow the heart rate down. He's going to change his mentality when he takes the snap to not panic immediately. Um, even sometimes, I know there's a 
pre-snap read on some things and you read pre-snap, hey, I'm going here before the ball's even in my hands. And then they jump it or rotate or they convert into something that definitely screws up your read. Well, that still doesn't mean you can't gain more ground to get more depth, rethink, all right? You got to reset and then you get back into that progression read, very similar to what we saw in that last clip. And I think, again, that's what you're going to see. To give you a lot of hope, what I want to see is what happened in the Georgia Tech game, for example, watching Dominic Lovett catch that slot fade for the vertical route touchdown going into the end zone. I think that's more of the things that we are going to start stressing with the kids that we have. And I think a lot of people are going to be excited about what they see out of Carson Beck this year, like you said to the, um, like you said earlier, having that one year under his belt. Yeah, excited. So we'll keep doing this um, on a regular basis. Uh, we'll call it first and fundamental. We'll break down, you know, kind of some specifics that we've seen. Hopefully it'll help. Hopefully mm-hmm. it'll it'll help whet your appetite uh, for Georgia mm-hmm. football and uh, and what we're going to see from this team this season. All right, a couple things mm-hmm. um, I want to get to before we before we get out of here. So Georgia, this is the first time that we've gotten together, Coach, um, since Georgia has officially hired James Coley as a wide receiver coach and Josh Crawford as their running back coach. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, we talked about these possibilities. So I think we, we talked a little bit about what these guys, you know, kind of bring to the table. Um, but now that it's official, uh, what are you, what are you most looking forward to in terms of how these guys like complement this coaching staff? We've heard some good things about them already in terms of like, they're already at work. They're already recruiting guys. They're already building relationships. Mm -hmm. How do you think, uh, these, these guys are going to complement the staff? I'm going to try to stay away from the word recruiting because I think that's the one thing that staples both of them yeah. realist, realistically out of the gate. We I know, going let's to say just, trust. Yeah, we, we know mm-hmm. that you, Kirby Smart is not going to hire you if you're not a good recruiter. That's, that's obviously yep. clear, so we don't have to talk about that. And, and I want to reverse the stigma, though, on James Coley because I think it's all been said, and I tweeted this out because, you know, when he was here in 2016, 2018, he was really developing. You know, you think about a Javon Williams and – uh, there's different guys out there that are coming to mind that he actually Riley worked Ridley. with. Uh, Terry, uh, yeah, yeah, Ridley Godwin, you know, is yep. another one too. I think of, and to see what they did and improved, that's under James Coley's tutelage, guys. And because of him being put into that situation as the OC in 2019, and it was it was very hard to watch. Mm-hmm. I would definitely say that I definitely agree with uh, John's take, um, along with uh, Jim's take last week, and uh, I definitely don't want to see him calling plays. But I definitely don't mind him being in the locker room with those kids, coaching the wide receivers, doing what he does, and being able to go out and recruit those kids as well because he did an excellent job of that. I said I wasn't going to say recruiting. But still, though, what it does bring back is trust. Coach Smart obviously trusts what Coach Coley can do. And that that's enough for me. Mm-hmm. By what I've seen in the development of the kids when he was here during 16 and 18, when he was just the wide receivers coach before even the OC tag got put on before Cheney left, um, or after Cheney left. So I really like the fact that we've got somebody in there that's a familiar face that Coach Kirby, Coach Kirby Smart has um, has a trust value, and I think that goes a long way. And I think he's going to do an excellent job when he's in there. I'm not going to lie with Crawford. I was really uh, not aware of that name. I mm-hmm. knew Jimmy Smith was another name that was being thrown around. But after watching a lot of tape on Josh and basically seeing what Coach Crawford, what he has done with uh, – what he did when he was at Western Kentucky, I mean, those stats were impressive. I don't care where you're at, but what it tells me based off just a two-year uh, tenure there for him to be promoted to the OC, you know, in the co-OC. In the second year, yeah. And what, yeah, and all the stats that he put up there, that just goes to show you what his attention to detail is. So that's very impressive as well. 
coming to the um, University of Georgia, I think he just brings a different, he, he brings different perspective. Yeah. I think sometimes change does that to you and perspective is very important. Um, listening to his philosophy, mm-hmm. just in general, offensively from um, documentation and things that I've watched on him. And uh, I just really think that he's going to bring a, just a breath of fresh air to that wide receiver, to the running back room, excuse me, not the wide <laughs> receiver room, uh, to the running back room. I forget, like I said, he's going to be the running backs coach there. But yeah. I think he is really a good fit for where Dell McGee left. He has he has high school experience, you know, 10 years with a few state championships under his belt. He understands winning football at big programs, and he has connections and networking all throughout the state. So, uh, again, I think Coley and Crawford are trustworthy. They're complementary to one another, and I think they build in a lot of – I think they just bring in a lot of solidarity to what we already know about, you know, the University of Georgia's coaching staff. Yeah, well, Crawford, you know, he's he's coming from Georgia Tech, um, which – That's his only flaw. His only flaw. I was, I was just about <laughs> to say that. So so we, we'll forgive him for wearing that Tech gear um, for, I don't know, yeah. the year that he was there. Um, it, it's interesting because Kirby, yeah. Kirby Smart took uh, – Took Josh Crawford and uh, Kevin Scherer, who was on staff at Georgia Tech. Dale McGee yeah. hired him uh, as his defensive coordinator at Georgia State. So uh, you got um, uh, two of the best three college football programs in the state um, rating Georgia mm-hmm. Tech's staff. So if Georgia Southern goes and takes a bite, <laughs> then you'll have three of the top three uh, in Georgia, right. in Georgia, University of Georgia, Georgia State, and Georgia Southern, the top three football programs uh, in the state, taking from Georgia Tech. And, <laughs> and didn't I see Del McGee get uh, Cheney as well? Yeah, as Jim as his offensive coordinator. Yeah, yeah. I think I think yeah. Kevin Sher and Jim Cheney are really good hires for Del McGee. I know a lot of people are. I agree with yeah, you on that. Listen, mm-hmm. a lot of people are are, um, you know, if 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 Jim Cheney and Kevin Sher were being hired at you know, some other at, at an SEC school. I don't think that's where they are. But I think if you're if you're building a staff like Del McGee and you're trying to convince Power Five backups to come transfer to a Group of Five school so that they can play, um, mm-hmm. there are there are people that have far worse resumes than Jim Cheney and uh, Kevin Shearer to actually convince those guys to come play for them. Um, those guys have put a lot of people in the league. They've been in a lot of elite programs. Um, they have a lot of, lot, a lot of tenure between the two of them. Um, and I think that, I think it's a smart move. I think, I think you, you know, mm-hmm. um, you, it's a different world, right? So you're recruiting yeah. so much of that group of five is recruiting that transfer portal. And so you're having to go. Yeah. And, uh, and so the ability for those guys to, to be able to point to, Hey, I, you know, I have, I have sec schools, uh, on my resume, um, I've been in the top, you know, the top programs. Uh, I think I think it'll be good for Del McGee. All right. Uh, speaking of yeah. Georgia Tech, um, I, I want to take a little bit of a left turn. I was listening to uh, uh, Bill Shanks, who um, is uh, on the Superstations uh, Network, Georgia Sports in South Georgia. Uh, he had a great interview with former Georgia Tech coach Paul Johnson, and Paul Johnson had a lot to say. Um, Paul Johnson has never been one to really hold back, but man, he went in on Jeff Collins, um, and the way that whole, uh, transition went down with Georgia tech. And, uh, you know, so some of the things that Paul Johnson said, if you haven't heard the interview, I have it on, I have it on Twitter. You can check it out. You can also go, um, uh, find it on, uh, Bill's page at Bill Shanks, um, as well. 
it's one of the best interviews that I've heard from a from a, a former coach for two reasons. Number one, he covered a lot of ground in terms of his experiences, his history. Um, he talked about how difficult it was to get players at Georgia Tech, where he said we we couldn't take transfers. He said he had a he had a guy uh, transfer in, wanted to transfer in from Stanford, had a three point two. He was a graduate, had a three point two GPA from Stanford, and Paul Johnson mm-hmm. had to go to the president to get that guy accepted into Georgia Tech. Had another guy from Louisville that he had to go through. They had to they had to send him to junior college before he uh, to take a math course before he could transfer into Georgia Tech. So uh, he was talking about the changing you know kind of landscape of the transfer portal. That that mm-hmm. is you know those those days are are long behind us. I don't think you know I don't think Georgia Tech is uh I don't think the president is is you know <laughs> scrutinizing transfers uh, no. in this day and age because of the ability for those guys to just walk out the door too. But he talked about Jeff Collins and the one thing I want to get to and the reason I'm bringing this up just in general here at the end of the show. He talked about how um you know. It, Jeff Collins came in and basically tore down, you know, kind of everything he had built. And one of my hypotheses is there are schools, and I've heard other people say this, uh, most notably the guys on the Cover 3 podcast have talked about this a little bit. I really like listening to them. Um, but there are schools who, who I believe would benefit from running an option offense. There are schools who there's a reason the service academies run them. Uh, and there are schools, mm-hmm. I think, I think there are power five schools that would benefit from running, uh, from swallowing their pride and running that kind of offense. And Paul Johnson was bringing up, you know, like how much they won at Georgia Tech. And he wasn't wrong. I mean, they played for ACC championships, no. they played an Orange Bowl. Um, uh, they won a lot of games. He's, you know, he's, he's a Hall of Fame uh, coach for a reason. I wanted to get your take on, the state of offense in college football and, and mm-hmm. this whole dilemma where Paul Johnson said, Hey, you know, he, uh, he basically came in and said a bunch of stuff that wasn't true about the style of football that we played simply because of this, the, the scheme of offense that we ran. Mm-hmm. What do you see out there in the landscape that you think, you know, maybe like a school like Vanderbilt, do you think Vanderbilt is ever going to be able to recruit the athletes to run, you know, this like full like RPO spread, you know, uh, spread kind of offense? Or do you think a school like Vanderbilt would be better to say, let's get some really good athletes and let's run some of that old school, you know, option football, um, maybe not full like triple option like Paul Johnson, but what are your thoughts around mm-hmm. just how, some of these schools can gain some ground with scheme um, because I think, I think Paul Johnson is actually onto something and saying like, Hey, there, there were very few places that we could recruit from. And so if we're going to get these, <laughs> you know, these really good athletes, like we're not going to, we're not going to be able to get a, you know, go get a, a five-star quarterback that can sling it around. Um, right. So what, what are your thoughts around that uh, coach around just offensive scheme? John, you're speaking my love language, man. <laughs> um, I'm going to say this. I, you talk about courage in a coach, you know, doing what Coach Smart does on Bloody Tuesdays. Talk about a coach who should be wanting to trend set with everybody else who seems to be running, you know, basically 10, 11 personnel with H-backs, no fullbacks anymore, 
and defenses that run no more than a four-two-five. It's nickel defenses now out the gate. There's not a, there's not a third linebacker typically now, and if he is, he's an outside linebacker that can run with their running back or their number three receiver. So, I think it's good for the game because I'm going to say this: one of the where I got most of my information from and what I have adapted to over the time that I've coached and the offensive play schemes that I came up with came from the base pro right set, which is the fullback having a fullback tight end, 21 personnel running power counter veer, (laughs) which is the triple option. But guess what? You could still take a fullback out, go to your 11 personnel, call out, you know, you know, you just call out the personnel. You have a set for it that week. It's 11 personnel, 10 personnel. Mm-hmm. Those guys know who they are. They go out. You get in, you know, my, like I said, Hinton being my quarterback, Lad's brother. Um, you know, he threw for a lot of yardage and ran for a lot of yardage because we had a very good ground game in what we ran because we ran behind our 21 personnel, our 11 personnel, and uh, but yet we could go 10 personnel and we could go empty and we can still throw the football and do things out of that. Um, I think it's good if you have a coach that can say, listen, it is definitely about our players, all right, not necessarily about the plays. I love Coach Kirby Smart saying that. If you've got a kid that is the typical fullback and you want to use that, there's nothing wrong with that anymore. I think everybody loses sight on the fact that you can't run a true power play because there's no fullback in the backfield. Everybody calls the H and the guard pulling now the counter. And, you know, really to me, that's just old school power. It's just the H backs moved up to the line of scrimmage and is a slot off the tackle now. So to answer your question, I think the trend setting, I would love to see more coaches start doing that where they actually see what they've got and quit trend setting with all this. But, you know, now defensive player, defensive staffs have to prepare for, you know, 10 personnel, 11 personnel the entire game. They got to be prepared to, because they're going to get removed from the box. And if they have six to seven in the box, they're going to end up getting torched down the field for things of that nature. Yeah. I think the issue is right. I think the biggest issue Let's just say it. The biggest issue is seven on seven and what's going on in high school. You don't have yep. you don't have players coming out of high school, no matter how good they are, that know, you know, that that mm-hmm. would know what to do in a in a in a scenario where you're running true power with a you know, with a fullback or running uh, uh-huh. you know, like true I know Georgia runs twelve personnel, but like true twelve personnel, like that true, you know, kind of kind of two tights and an eye kind of situation. And so I think mm-hmm. I think um I'm I'm interested to see what's going to happen, especially in Group of Five and some of these Power Five schools. Because your Vanderbilt is a good example for me, where it's like I I think if I'm Clark Lee, I don't know what you do. Um, if you're, I don't think I don't think you're you're not going to have the athletes to compete with the with in the league that you are playing in right. from an offensive side of the ball. It's just it's just not going to happen. And you can try to will right. it to happen and you can hope, you know, the transfer portal like opens up some parity and all those things, but I just don't believe it's going to happen. And so, um, nope. so I am interested in, in seeing like who, who has the, who has the courage to be like, all right, these are the players I can recruit. Let me put together a scheme that is actually going to give me an opportunity to be competitive. Because again, you know, Paul Johnson, like, let's just put it, this is a Georgia show. Like Paul Johnson didn't win me in those games versus Georgia either. <laughs> like he didn't, you know, nope. but but you but, know, I was going to say to the contradiction of that, what did Kirby Smart have to always do? Seem like preparing for him, and and not only that, but but the games versus versus Georgia were reasonably competitive. I mean, they're at the end of Mark Rick's tenure, um, 
you know, you had two overtime games and a 13 to seven game. I mean, this wasn't, you know, yep. you, you weren't going out there and blowing the doors off of these guys. And, right. and I think, so I think there's something to be said. Um, I think, you know, me taking off my, uh, my red and black glasses and listen to that interview with Paul Johnson. Although I am glad that Georgia beat the brakes off of, uh, off of him more times <laughs> than not. Um, right. I am interested to see what happens in the evolution of the game when it comes down to, you know, how, who can you recruit? Who can you get in there? What kind of scheme can you build? Cause I just don't think enough coaches have the courage to be like, all right, you know what? Yep. I'm going to run a power eye and I'm, <laughs> you know, cause I, cause that's who I got. And, and that's going to give me a better chance. Um, it's going to give me a better chance to actually keep this game competitive uh, than me going out there and slinging it around and throwing incomplete passes and, and giving them the ball back. Yeah. God forbid the wing T. I Good mean, Lord. Lord, if they brought the wing T back out, we might, we might have people following. I would over. love. Listen, I really think that. Yeah, the go ahead. No, listen. The wing T. Give me. Listen. Give me. I. I would love. I would be salivating to see somebody to roll out there with the old school wing T. <laughs> Just love it. And you know. Yeah. And what's so funny is that as football has evolved, it's like it's we're we're adapting to it instead of trying to be setting our well, own footprints. To well, it. you're seeing realistically. It. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. Finish your thought. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying that it's one of those things where I feel like you look at what we run in South Carolina. I can't tell me how many times I broke down. We run a center guard play side. Yep. They want to call it power counter, but it's really buck sweep. Yep. It's a buck sweep out of gun because yep. you're pulling somebody play side to it. So it's just how the formations that you're doing, but you're still running plays that are based out of the old pro right days and the old wing T days. It's just in a different formation. And so that's the reason why, like I said, it'd be, I, I really definitely would be impressed with someone who would have the courage to say, listen, this is what we're going to do and stick with it and set a trend going in another direction. Yep. No doubt. Well, we'll keep talking about it. We'll keep pushing for change from our little, little corner of the world. <laughs> um, thanks for yep. tuning in. If you, if you haven't already, please like subscribe, follow the show, follow coach Hayes on Twitter at coach Hayes huddle and his YouTube channel uh, under the same name. Uh, I'm John Smith and we will be back next time.